Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome to another episode of the Backdoor Cut. This is your Memphis Grizzlies podcast on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. We are two Memphis guys talking about Memphis we have beards. The election is going on. We're not going to talk about the election at all. We're going to actually take our minds off that because we can talk a little basketball because we've got some exciting things happening. And later in the show, we'll be joined by Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast, kind of the Nashville-based Grizzlies site and podcast and Twitter account. Uh, but now we're going to – Zach and I are going to talk a little bit about the NBA's – I want to say restart. I guess it kind of is. It's the new <laughs> season. It's the 2020-2021 season. Um, Shams has been giving us a bunch of good info. We think basically it's imminent that the season starts on December 22nd. Uh, and the players, I think, are going to ratify that, the Players Association, but everyone thinks it's going to happen. Um, the other option is MLK Day, January 18th, and they're going to end up kind of voting on that. Um, but if the season progresses on December, as everyone thinks, December 22nd, the NBA makes a lot of money that that. Christmas week says the article on the athletic. Uh, apparently they make like a absurd amount of like millions, hundreds of millions of dollars just based on the one Christmas week alone. So that that's incentive enough right there in terms of recoup all the money that they lost last season because, because of the coronavirus. And uh, the season would be as thus December 1st training camp and feel free to jump in anytime, Zach, if you have any comments on this uh, three to four preseason games, uh, a 72-game regular season, which, of course, is the magic number to get most of those media contracts uh, and get all the profits from those. Um, 14 back-to-back games per team. So that probably tracks kind of what we see in the season, but that's not ideal. Back-to-back games are pretty shitty. 25% reduction in travel. So what that means is they're going to have, like, if the Grizzlies go out to L.A. to play the Lakers and they play them three times in the season, they'll just stay out there and play probably the Clippers and the Lakers yeah, like they'll probably like knock games. all, the, yeah, knock yeah. all those games out. So, and we've talked about that here a little bit, or I talked about it with Mason. Like, I find that kind of interesting. Uh, kind of brings more of a baseball feel where you see folks go into town, usually play a three, four game series. You know, a, you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could play the whole weekend against the same team. Uh, kind of interesting. Would be interesting if there are fans. That could be a interesting dynamic it's all interesting i guess for me today but like you play the same you play a friday sunday the same game you know that gives chance kind of a weird opportunity to see almost a deja vu repeat of potentially the same game two days later kind of curious to see how that would play out but i think i mean that seems like a pretty pretty solid idea of a way to approach it 
to be able to cut down on that travel, uh, unnecessary travel, really. The only bummer would be that if you have one of your stars is out for an injury, you will like you probably won't get a chance to see that matchup. So say Zion's hurt on the weekend where Memphis plays the Pelicans, then he's just hurt the weekend that Memphis plays the Pelicans, and you won't get to see Zion versus Memphis. Some of the guys have talked about how that's like a negative, like they're worried that like if LeBron's out for the Lakers one weekend and they play the Bucks or something, they just like straight up go 0-3 or, I mean, I guess 0-2 in that situation or whatever. I don't know if they're even going to play different conferences. But then it could hurt your record that way. Like you could, if you play a good team and one of your guys is out for that concentrated amount of times, that you could end up kind of with a worse record. But I think the NBA at this point is just like throwing their hands up. Look, look, dude, we got to do something. We got to get games. Sorry about it. Yeah. It's going to be weird. It's going to be different. And we just got to get it done, you know? Yeah. Uh, All-Star break, uh, six days in early March. They're still planning on doing the All-Star game. Um, Regular season would end around May 16th, which is like basically when it ends usually. Play in tournament for the numbers seven through ten seeds uh, in each conference would be after that. Playoffs begin May 22nd with the finals to finish around July 22nd. Basically putting you right back where you were, um, you know, in in a normal NBA calendar season. Um, I want to talk about the play-in tournament. So I've seen a couple articles on this. I love this idea. I mean, everyone's been talking about how this is awesome. The play-in tournament last year was awesome, or at least this summer in the bubble. Uh, the way that they're proposing this is, is that the, the seven and eight seed play each other, and then the nine and the 10 seed play each other. The winner of the seven and eight seed becomes the seven seed, and then is done. The okay. loser of the seven and eight seed then plays the winner of the nine and 10 seed game. And if they lose, the winner of that gets the eight seed. So if you're the eight seed, essentially you have to lose twice in order to lose your playoff spot. And I think that's fair. Okay. And it gives more skin in the game, too. If you're like, think about the people that are going to be trying to avoid getting this, the seven seed. Uh, and it makes that like six, seven, five race, which is usually a big jumble of clusterfuck of West teams there. Yeah. And so, the, you know, if you're like the Suns or something or the you know, all the West teams like that we're part of, you know, that sort of are we good enough for the playoffs yet? teams they're all going to be like right there too so it kind of gives everyone skin in the game yeah and, and, I mean, and are it, you are you peaking like at that very end of the season you might have struggled right. had some injuries but you're sitting in that 10 hole and you get hot you we you have someone like phoenix you know in the bubble and you can sneak into the playoffs when you could have been you know not had that great of a record but you know you you were in that nine or ten slot so that could be that's kind of cool it puts the best teams you think in the seven and eight, like, or at least the teams that are playing the best basketball at that time. Yeah. You know, think about Verno talked about this today, like the 2016 playoffs when the Grizzlies had like the 32 players and we were the seven seed playing the two seed Spurs. And it was was terrible. We got swept and we had no business being there. We just banked a bunch of wins earlier in the season and, but didn't belong there. And that would have allowed us to get, we kind of bounced out. And um, I mean, I could be honest about that. Uh, or last year when we were hurt, limping into the play-in. I mean, you know, like we had just banged some wins earlier and to kind of like give it ourselves a buffer. And, you know, but, but really we weren't the team we were. Yeah. Uh, we would have gotten demolished as an eight seed. And it wouldn't have even been fun, I don't think, particularly for anybody. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, that that makes sense and I'm for it. Um, the, the, the salary stuff's interesting. A lot of financial talk. Uh, league's going to do an escrow thing for the players. Have you heard about this? Uh, briefly. So there, I mean, I'll talk about it real quick, and then uh, then Keith's going to join us in a couple of minutes. But 
basically they're going to pull, you know, like a, a percentage of each player's salary. Um, you know, the league's pushing like close to uh, a 25% NBA player association is pushing for 15. It'll end up somewhere in the middle um, as, as discussions continue. Basically what an escrow is like an, a neutral account. They'll pull player money, put it in there in a big pot. And with the, with the presumption being that if the league continues to lose money, then that escrow account will buffer and, and support the league if it keeps losing money and the players won't get it back. If the league gets back to normal financially and the players get their money back. Uh, and it, it, the, 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 the theory is that if you're going to share in the profits of the league 50-50, then you should also share in the losses. When right now the players are not actually taking any losses, they're still getting paid their salaries. Right. Um, salary salary cap, luxury tax is supposed to remain the same. You know, I think they're pushing to keep it that way, keep it flat for a few years as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that makes sense, like fiscally. And I mean, but the thing is, like a lot of players that are, you know, if you're like Dylan Brooks was before um, – you know, if, if you're like Dylan Brooks was before you were a like 11 million a year guy and you were getting on your you were on your like one point two million dollar contract and suddenly 20 percent of that's taken away and you just bought a house. And yeah, that's, that's and you not to mention yeah. your your young 20s. I, I, I no one anticipated this happening. Uh, I had a 20 percent pay cut at the beginning of uh, coronavirus and I'm an attorney. And so like it was like suddenly out of nowhere. And um, yeah, I mean, it's tough if you're not like reasonably fiscally responsible. Yeah. So I, I, that's going to be a, a situation where, you know, I don't know what's going to happen um, with certain players and if they're going to end up being stressed about it. But Great example with Dylan there. I, uh, I can't really picture him in that situation. That seems a little bit uh, uh, like that could be a dark road for him. Yeah. <laughs> Already has enough stuff going on and yeah. money, money going different directions. So he's got a lot of bills, man. Luckily, he got the bag, a little bit of the bag, you know, not, not quite a Prada bag, but like, a, you know, whatever. I don't know the different types of Italian bags, but like, so I don't know with that, but Keith's going to join us in about 10 minutes. Um, so what do you like about the uh, December 22nd start? I mean, what uh, we want basketball back. We're fans. We're season ticket holders. So the sooner the better, I think that we can kind of get in and watch basketball that we enjoy that. Mm -hmm. um, but what uh, I mean, do you see any pitfalls with that? So sounds like some of the big names, aka LeBron and Anthony Davis. I think uh, Danny Green said on some on All the Smoke maybe or somewhere that it's pretty likely that if we come into a scenario where that that's when we start right before Christmas instead of that MLK, which is a month later, you could see LeBron sit for the majority of that time, uh, just because he needs a little bit older. He's got his off-season routine. He's going to try to heal up his body, take care of himself. And he also just won a title. So he he know I mean, he knows more than anyone else how to manage his body and his career because of his crazy longevity and you seeing him sit out, I think that's probably the biggest pitfall for the entire league. Obviously, he has a huge voice and opinion in any kind of matters like this and has a lot of influence, but when it comes down to it, there's also however many teams you know weren't even playing in the bubble. Those guys haven't played since March. All the other players, they need to make their money. So cutting out that whole month's worth of games could, I mean, I think it the sum of the parts, it's going to hurt a lot more people more so than it helps LeBron. Yeah, it's like a little economics project really if you think about the league itself as a, as a population of people 
And LeBron's the 1%. You know, he is makes a ton of money. He has a ton of sponsorships and outside income. And this has no bearing on his financial well-being whatsoever. Like, you know, if the league stopped for a whole season, he didn't get any money for one season, like he would be fine. Um, that's not as much the case with a guy that we talked about, like, a, you know, a guy like Dylan Brooks, but pre-contract. I don't know, a guy like De'Anthony Melton playing for whatever right. he's on right now. Um, those are guys on our team, but not to mention that there are guys like that all across the league that are on, you know, like they were second round picks and signed a contract they're on two way deals, uh, whatever. You know? So they are not as financially w- capable and, and well off and they probably need this money in a, in a, like a legit need way. And that yeah. sounds kind of crazy to say a guy that makes like high six figures, nine or a million dollars a year, like needs this money, but you know, you become accustomed to that sort of lifestyle. And I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that, like, no, I mean, obviously no one anticipated this. So I, it's easy for LeBron to say, like, look, I just played till like two weeks ago and, you know, I don't yeah. need this money. So I'll see you in February or whenever he decides to come back. Right. But, you know, like, I think that's sort of being inconsiderate to, and I'm not calling LeBron inconsiderate, but it's easy to get wrapped up in your own life and what, what's affecting you and not think about the world of people out there or the universe of NBA players. Yeah, exactly. And like your money, I assume at least, obviously I'm not making a million dollars, but those guys have to pay a lot of people. They've got, you know, chefs and trainers and agents, you know, their money is going a lot of different directions to not necessarily, I'm not even going to say for their lifestyle, but just to maintain their abilities and their body, which is their investment. So they're really investing in all these different areas to give them the best opportunity to perform at their highest potential. So, yeah, it may sound like a lot of money, but, I mean, no one wants to just, like, take a chop of your money, no matter how much you make. I mean, that, that's just the, the matter of the, the truth there. Yep, very much so. Um, very much so. So we look to fans to be joining the uh, the fray as well. Shams has tweeted this afternoon uh, that he anticipates – 25 to 50% of fans in the suite level stuff. Uh, and then some amount of other fans like filling out the rest of the stadium, depending on local guidelines. Luckily we live in the South where no one gives a fuck about um, the, the pandemic. And so they'll likely be like, cool, 10,000 people or I well, don't know, whatever. So what are the tigers doing right now? Uh, I, I've heard three, three to 4,000 people. Okay. So that's um, like, that's up to 25 ish percent. Little, little, probably about twenty percent capacity, right? And then I, I've heard the Grizzlies are doing the same thing. I've heard they're going mm-hmm. shooting for five or six thousand. Basically, where what what that equates to is that you've socially distanced the lower bowl on the club level, yeah. Um, and you've you spread your season ticket holders wherever the cutoff is. Like if you're a, whatever amount of years or you're whatever spender, and then you get to get in the building, um, and then they'll figure out like if you know, like what it means for if they have to cycle through certain season ticket holders. And so it should be a really interesting process, but um, you know, the longer you've been a season ticket holder, you, you know, the more likely to get in the building. And then the question becomes like, are you, I, I had to take a survey recently. In fact, the season ticket holder, I don't know if you did as well, about how comfortable you'd be um, going to games and how comfortable you'd be sitting X amount of feet away from people uh, and, and all of that. So um, the, the Grizzlies are sort of trying to gauge that and try to figure out right now you know, how many people they're going to allow back in the building. Because um, I don't think it's going to be Shelby County that restricts them. I think they will be more careful themselves. I mean, yeah. Zach Kleiman, Wexler, they're savvy business guys. They know that if the, the FedEx Forum on a night versus the Suns becomes a coronavirus spreading event, that's, yeah. that's not that, what they want. That's not, a, that's not only a detriment to 
the team and like future events with fans that like the whole league's gonna become you know gonna have to probably take note of that and have additional precautions so you could if you start out way too high letting too many people in you could just be setting yourself up for failure to start right back over with no fans mm-hmm yeah, so we'll see as that develops. I mean, this is a tonight. The the players and everyone's going to vote on this, so we're going to have a result basically tonight, and um, and probably an announcement either late tonight or tomorrow morning. Ironic that we know tonight that we will get the result of the vote. Yeah, if you're just now joining the program, I'm of course talking about the NBA and not the yeah. other big election that's going on. Uh, that we're not actually talking politics on on this particular podcast. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe we could get John King involved with the the, the NBA, uh, and then we could get him like on a screen figuring out you know what what players are going to play where and what how many games are going to need to be be playing in different geographic regions of the map, and we could have all that going on because he's a wizard as we discussed at the board. Yeah, I, th- I could see him on draft night being like a critical uh, member of that broadcasting crew. Very much so. Um, draft night approaching, two weeks away. Uh, it's not very exciting if you're a Grizzlies fan, considering they have no picks. I, however, will still watch it, uh, oh, yeah. probably religiously, and I just enjoy it. I enjoy seeing who's going to go first, especially in this kind of crazy fray of a draft where no one knows anything, it seems like. Um, if it happens, and everyone thinks it will, that some of the teams are worried that it would get pushed back again just because everything has. Uh, but every indication is it's going to happen on the 18th, which I think is a Wednesday. Is that are you asking me to fact check that real quick? No, I just uh, I just uh, just said that I put a question mark at the end. I did like the I'm Ron Burgundy Thursday. thing. Thursday, Thursday. Yeah. Oh, Thursday. I was like I'm Ron Burgundy. Oh wait, no, it's a Wednesday. I don't know why I looked at the twelfth after we just said the eighteenth. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Um, other news around the league: Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted that Marcus and Markeith Morris just signed with the agent Wasserman. Oh, Charlie Fields of Wasserman. Uh, he's one of the few agents that represents both NFL and NBA players. So the, the Morris brothers, who knows where they're heading. Uh, but uh, not, not not a super exciting free agent news, but, you know, that's that's something out there in that's these barren waste fields of of no news. Yeah, sometimes that's all we get in, uh, you know, the offseason of November. So if, if, if uh, you're allowed to go to every single game and um, as whatever year season ticket holder you are, and the, the premise is you go in and you sit. Yeah, in order to get in, you have to um, – I've heard that there's this machine or whatever that checks, like, your temperature. And then also yeah. it, it checks to see if you're wearing a mask in order to be admitted. And um, then you go in, you sit down, uh, and you, and the next person is – I don't know, what, six feet? Three seats apart? Something like that? Maybe less? Maybe yes. more? Let's say two or three seats apart. And they're and you're spaced out. Are you going to every single game? Are you like, uh, are 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 you like this is kind of dumb? And I and if in a perfect world, I probably wouldn't go to these things because it's it's I don't need to go to this, and it's obviously more unsafe than just sitting at home. Or are you like, no way in hell am I going to this because I can't account for these randos? What's your like? What would be your take on that? Just as a as a as Zach, I think I would. I'd probably be selective about the games I go to. I wouldn't be going to every single game, I don't think, but I would... I, I mean, I'm curious. I'd want to see what the whole experience, in-game experience was like, what the protocols are and procedures to get in the game. Uh, that would be intriguing to me, so I think that I would probably pick and choose 
which games I definitely wouldn't try to like load up my slate and always be there or anything like that. But uh, I'd at least give it a give it the old college try and give it. You know, you could I could go to the first one and feel very uncomfortable the whole time and decide you know what this isn't for me. But I would I would try it once. You know, you would I I, I would probably go to more than I like care to admit. I, I think you you probably hope that they had the temperature tests were like legit, you know, and like, and no one could get in if they were running any kind of temperature. And of course, like you can be a non-symptomatic, asymptomatic carrier and all that's like, you can get it anywhere. I mean, and and it's quite possibly the least necessary thing for you to do. You know, like it, it is, you can watch it on TV. You don't have to be there. Um, So it's, it's like kind of like a taking your life in your own hands, I suppose um, thing, but also being a serious fan and like having the seats and stuff. It's, it's, that's the other hand. So I, I don't know. That'll be a really tough decision, I think, like now that I like legitimately think about it. Yeah. Um, food, like I, I've heard that they're going to do like you, you get on an app or whatever and you order your your food and then they deliver it to your seat. And then, you know, how is that going to work? Or is it like you order it and it says like, hey, it's ready at this uh, food stand, the rendezvous, uh, whatever. And then you show up and pick it up. Huh. Uh, is that how it's going to work? I think this could actually end up kind of upgrading the FedEx forum, like in terms of how they operate just by necessity, which is good yeah. because it probably needs to upgrade. Uh, so I think like they'll have to figure out all this app stuff. That makes sense, man. Like if me and you were sitting there at second quarter and we're like, we're going to get a beer at the end of the second quarter, but right before halftime, so we could beat the rush. Why not just like us be able to get on an app and order it? And it would tell us exactly what time it'll be ready. So like everyone wins, so you, don't have, you know, yeah, you don't have your yeah. lines. I think that's probably a big concern. If you're trying to spread a line and, distance people six feet in like a concession stand line it's going to wrap halfway around the building and just create more of a log jam i feel like so yeah it does make a lot of sense yeah and we certainly hope that's the case i mean what are they going to do like um you know like uh what are they going to do what like uh entertainment wise i mean it'll be a weird thing and i don't know what it's going to look like what the what the corona in-game experience is going to be like but uh i might just get the like the straight up like vr helmet and just go full like see what that's about but uh but we'll see anyway we're now joined by uh keith parish of fast break revis keith what's up man hey how's it going doing well i like your setup there i like Thank the yellow mi- microphone cover that's very professional <laughs> yeah a little you know a little gotta stop the plosives don't want my yeah. keys to come through too hard yeah very Anything nice else? i believe you're a musician so that makes sense you're looking for sound quality here that's right although i'm a not a good singer i'm a terrible singer so i like to mic the amps where uh, the synthesizers or keyboards are coming out of that's my yeah. <laughs> there you go uh well yeah this is keith paris the brain behind your favorite nashville based grizzlies podcast slash <laughs> twitter account uh, i believe you were voted third in one of the one of the magazines there which is a big feather in your cap how do yeah. you feel about that uh well let's see third best twitter account in nashville this year last year i was second best twitter account Uh-oh. uh I lost to a, a weather service with like 200,000 followers that actually provides a public good. So that, you know, that's, that's a fair loss. We were happy. We were voted the best podcast in Nashville last year. This year we kind of forgot to campaign and tell people uh, mm. to get the votes in. But I like, I like how, I like how you can say uh, your favorite Nashville based Grizzlies podcast. Cause that really narrows it down. And cuts and cuts out the competition. You, uh, you like that? You can use yeah. that. I have so not you think you can that. easily no say that you're number one for that? No, we've we've said for a long time we are comfortably, I think, the greatest 
breakfast themed NBA show based in Nashville and no one's ever disputed it. No one's ever argued. So we feel good about it. Yeah. You, you got to feel good about that. And hopefully like Sacramento French toast doesn't come out and then, you know, make a run for your, for your title. No, um, one, no one's tried. I mean, I'm ready yeah. to cease and desist. I feel like I could broadly, you know, uh, stop the count for any breakfast themed NBA shows. I feel like we've established our position there. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to go to court if someone wants to try. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. I mean, you want to fight for your title. Um, yeah. All right, so we're just going to like mess around a little bit here. I, one thing I wanted to get from you, though, and you might have already mentioned this on your podcast, is what's your favorite Grizzlies memory? And, and are you from Memphis? Or are you a Nashville guy? Or what's your no, I'm, story? I'm a Nashville guy. The story is I was a NBA. I was a very intense NBA fan. In the late '90s is when I really got into it. Uh, when I was in college and playing NBA Live, and it was like I went to Florida State, and they had Heat games and Magic games on local TV. And growing up in Nashville, we had like no NBA games on TV outside of national broadcasts. So I started watching a ton of basketball. And then in 2000, when they announced the Grizzlies were moving to Memphis, I felt that geographic kinship like Nashville to Memphis. I did not know there were any like Memphis Nashville tensions or rivalries at that point. Uh, and so I, I became like a big Grizzlies fan. Like the minute they were announced, I was like, great. I finally have a team. I don't have to be like an NBA agnostic or just kind of pick a new team every year. And so ever since the, the Grizzlies came to Memphis, I was like all in on the Grizzlies. And so just been a fan since then. And uh, I guess, so my favorite memory, I think my favorite memory, it's probably split. The first one was uh, I was there for game three of uh, the Spurs series. And I guess it's 2010, the first time the Grizzlies ever won uh, a playoff series. And I was in the building for that. And it also was like the it was the closest I'd ever sat in an NBA game to that point. Like I shelled out. I'm like, I'm sitting lower bowl. I'm not sitting, you know, nose wow. to the top. And like a lower bowl 2010. That's that's rare to come about now. I feel like it was good. I, didn't well, realize I was in the presence of. Yeah, that's awesome. No, no. I mean, I got a little cash to throw around. No, um, I didn't. I didn't. I was really poor back then and was just like, I, I just want to go. And yeah. uh, it was funny because back then you could just buy, like when they announced the Grizzlies playoff tickets were for sale, I could just go to Ticketmaster and buy it off Ticketmaster. And there was plenty of available seats. And it was like $140 or something. And so like I bought tickets, had great seats. And again, to me, like spending $140 on a ticket was mind blowing. But uh, it was like a big luxury. And just the as intense as that game was and like how loud it was and maybe just like all the sights and sounds of people being on top of me and not being used to that. Like it blew me away. And, and I loved that. Um, it was really funny. So like after that, I went and bought game four tickets and I bought game six tickets because like they weren't that expensive and I, I resold them on StubHub. I went to game. I can't remember. I think I went to game six. I went to one of them. and I sold one of them. And like at that point, the demand was growing and like, so I sold it for a profit. Like it was immediate where like the scalpers weren't on it. And again, this is like your deep cut of 2010 Grizzlies uh, ticket resale market history. But the, uh, <laughs> this I is remember, what we came for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember selling it being like, this is amazing. Like, like scalpers haven't figured it out. And then immediately the next year it was already over where like the tickets were released and they were instantaneously all gone. And it was trying to get them, get them off StubHub for a lot of money. So that was one best memory. My next best memory, I would say is the Mike Conley mask game, the game three against the Warriors. They won that game. And I definitely like soaked in the moment after the game where I was like, this might be the peak 
of Grizzlies fandom. Like this might be the closest we get. Like right now we're thinking, you know, there's like a 20% chance we can make the NBA finals. And like, I, I really soaked it in. I was like, it might not be any better than this. Uh, and I think, I think I was right. I mean, now we have a new bright future again, kind of unexpectedly with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Looking pretty good. But I guess those, uh, those two game threes, I think are my favorite memories uh, as a Grizzlies fan. Uh, yeah, I, a personal anecdote about that game three with the uh, the Mike game. Um, I, and I think that, so. Zach and I are, and I'm Sam, and this is Zach, by the way. I don't know if we've formally introduced ourselves, Thank but we were season know. ticket holders, and uh, we went were at that game uh, in different sitting in different seats. But anyway, when we left that game, I was walking down Beale Street, and I remember seeing Steph Curry eating at that uh, the diner at the corner of Beale Street, and uh, what is that, Zach? What is that diner called? It's like Blue, they, Blue, they're all Blue City Cafe. Yeah, Blue City yeah, Cafe. Yeah. And he was sitting there and he was eating as if he didn't have a care in the world. Like, I believe he was eating ribs and he looked like the most chill motherfucker I've ever seen ever. And I remember thinking, we're losing this series. Like, I, I, I thought, <laughs> like, not rattled whatsoever. without a doubt, like, we had just rattled it in their core. This is like the toughest test. This, this crazy, insanely good Warriors team had faced to date. And we're playing this different brand of basketball. Tony Allen's like two stepping on Clay Thompson. And I was like, well, we're about to win the series. And then when I saw Steph, like, just, eating like nothing was going on i was there's no way i mean he's just a baby face assassin and i mean that, that's when i truly understood like how good he is i think he was I, mean, so, not that I didn't know but no, he, he was so good that series and that was like his coming out party that playoffs i mean the whole regular season but still doing it in the playoffs as well to separate himself from some other guys who had just great regular seasons no i feel like that blue city cafe meeting is like it's lore it's like warriors lore where they were upset and I think a lot of the other Warriors might have been there and they just calmed everybody down. Like, we're going to be cool. We're going to be cool. Uh, Tony Allen's going to pull his hamstring in game four and we're going to win this. Mm. So that's the other thing. If you're a Grizzlies fan, like, that's like, that might as well be a t shirt is the Tony Allen hamstring. Like, that's yeah. our kind of what we die on. We're like, no, no, no. Like, we, we, we would have won that had it not been for this hamstring thing. I, you know, I, I won't go there, but it is a passion of mine. It's a lifelong passion of mine to correct, to correct the false history anytime. It's Zach Lowe or somebody. And Zach Lowe pushes this fake history where he's like, the Warriors won that series because of the Andrew Bogut adjustment where they put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen. And you're like, yeah, they started game four like that and it was effective. And then Tony Allen got injured and didn't play. Like, he didn't play anymore. And so like, it didn't change the series. So like, I'm always pointing out like Tony Allen didn't play in game five. He tried to play a few minutes in game six. He, he, he couldn't do it. So, the Grizzlies were 2-0 and when Mike Conley and Tony Allen were healthy. That's all we real Grizzlies fans we'll, know. We'll never know. As Bill yeah. Simmons, that would be his question of like greatest sliding doors moment that he always yeah. has. That could be mm-hmm. one. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Very much that's so. right. Um, all right, so we're amateur NBA podcasters. We, well, Zach and I are. You're, you're, you're third-ranked in Nashville. We're, we're speaking with royalty now. but um, well, I, believe, we, I, I believe we're first-ranked in the sports category. I just want to make sure that's clear. Oh, record reflected. Sorry, I didn't mean to muddle the waves there. Fine. It's fine. Um, it, so it, what we do is we come up with fake NBA trades that will probably never happen and then talk yeah. about it and get excited about it, and that's just kind of what we do, especially when there's no basketball to watch. Um, one thing we're talking about now is the upcoming draft. You said you're not a big draft guy, which you don't know this draft super well, probably because the Grizzlies don't have a pick or, you know, some combination of a bunch of life stuff too. Um, one guy that I've just latched onto this draft is a guy named Aaron Nesmith from Vanderbilt. Uh, he's probably going to go middle of the first round. He's, he's shot like 50 something percent from three in college, got hurt. He's an archetype of the three and D guy. And, you know, it's another piece you could sort of add. I love this kid. 
And this is what I do is I pick one kid that I just like grasp onto. And then when he's good later, I can point back to him and be like, remember when I talked about Aaron Nesmith or if he sucks and just disappears into the ether, then I just never talk about him again. And no one ever calls me on it. It's the best. Mm -hmm. So now I'm giving like my Zach, I'm giving you my like my playbook. Uh, But this guy I just read actually is apparently like his dad. He grew up chopping wood in the forest with oh his dad. Oh my gosh! And, sure. and like a wood chopper. Great character. He'd wake guy. up at like six a.m. He literally chopped wood, which is you know both a metaphorical wor- wor- a term for working hard, and then also he literally chopped wood. So what I'm saying is this guy's going to be awesome. Um, but this is a long way of getting to what do you think about the Grizzlies trade in, into the first round? I mean, you think that's something that you would do, you know, not even knowing about any prospects in this draft, but knowing that it is a draft where you can kind of strike some gold in the middle of the first to late first because, you know, we don't know. And what would you so, be willing to do to do that? So to trade up to get your, your wood chopping Vanderbilt prospect, because you, you believe he'll be the first good Vandy prospect in the NBA. Uh, is I don't know. Ever? Wade Baldwin has a bone to pick. He was good for the Blazers <laughs> for like 30 minutes. Wade Baldwin had a good yeah. first game. Uh, yeah. The I don't think there's anything feasibly I could imagine the Grizzlies doing to get like to the 12th pick or the 14th pick if your guy Aaron Neesmith or Naismith would still be available, whatever his name is. Um, no, I wouldn't do much. I don't feel like the Grizzlies are in a position where you have like things that people would pay a mid first round pick for. Like the good things the Grizzlies have, like we're keeping those. Brandon Clark, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., we're keeping those. I don't think there's anything else on the team. No one's offering you a late lottery pick for Justice Winslow. No one's offering you a first-round pick for Jonas Valanciunas or Tyus Jones or anything. I mean, like the the only thing I can imagine, and I mentioned this on my Grizzlies podcast, Grits and Grinds, it's like I can imagine the Grizzlies taking the – bad salary from the Celtics of Enos Cantor and uh, Vincent Poirier. And maybe that would be enough if the Grizzlies also included their 40th pick to slide up 10 spots or 14 spots to 26. I don't think Mr. Woodchopper is going to be there at 26, but if there is somebody else, you could say like, okay, now we can get late in the first round, but no, I don't to broadly answer the question. No, I don't think there's anything the Grizzlies would do. I don't think they're going to trade a first future first. They, they could do that. If they love this man, like you love this man, they could say, Hey, let's let's uh, let's get rid of that that future Utah first round pick we have because this is the guy we want now. And if we get him in now, he can build alongside Ja and Jaron and Brandon, and we can all grow together. So like maybe they think that's the way of team building. I would bet money though that they're just going to kind of sit on their hands and not do that and just see what like see what falls to them at forty. Yeah, I think the most likely outcome is always that they're going to wait to see what happens that they can take advantage of. That's what they've done so far. And they've taken advantage of situations. I mean, being able to take on the, the Iggy contract, for example, that's, they're looking to be opportunistic and kind of facilitate things like that uh, and, and not trading future assets. What do you think about this? This is just a classic, like, Hey, I'm sitting on the couch and text this to a few friends. Um, Boston wants to maybe look at uh, a center, you know, obviously that yeah. they're, they're looking at the future, looking at what they got to do in the playoffs. They got to play against bam. You know, that's the, the things they're looking at. Tice isn't cutting it. Uh, so they were looking at Rudy. Maybe there was some talk about trading for Rudy Gobert from the jazz and jazz don't want to super max him. What do you think about JV to Boston um, for if for something? I don't know what, what Boston would be willing to give up, but they have three picks this draft. They can't actually have those guys on their roster. They don't even have the roster spots to facilitate three picks. They have 14, 26 and 29 or something like that. Um, and I might getting the twenties messed up, but I know they have 14. What do you think about JV to Boston for like Marcus smart and 14? 
I mean, is that something that they would, that Boston would just hang up on me immediately? Yeah, or- no, we we would have to include, we would have to include first round picks. I think in that scenario, uh, they, I don't think they're super interested in, in Jonas Valanciunas, um, and they're not. I don't, there's no way they're giving up Marcus Smart. I think they consider him to be a, a key piece there. Like I could possibly envision if Gordon Hayward, they knew they were done with Gordon Hayward, and he's saying he wants out, and we can help them out salary wise somehow. Like you take back Gordon Hayward because they have a roster crunch and they're getting too close. You know, the, the, the roster costs too much. They're going to have luxury tax issues. So, I mean, theoretically, top of my head, if it was like Enos Cantor, Gordon Hayward for Valentunas and Gorgie Jang and something else, like even then, I can't really wrap my head around it. I don't. I don't think Valanciunas is, is perfect for what they want to do. I think they'd right. rather have an above the rim guy. He, he like he has to play drop defense where he's not going to be able to switch onto the perimeter. I don't think they would view him as enough of an upgrade from Daniel Tice for what they're doing. They already have guys who can score. Valanciunas is a great floor raiser for for NBA teams. Like for the Grizzlies, he's important. You know, like hey, maybe we're a 25-30 win team. You add a Valanciunas, okay, now we're a 30-35 win team because this guy can get you 20 and 10. This guy can clear the defensive glass. He can get you buckets in the paint, but he's not going to help you probably advance far in the playoffs if you're already one of those really good teams like Boston because he's not versatile enough to guard guys out on the perimeter. He doesn't like he's an okay defender, but he's not like an elite rim protector. Perhaps he is, um, but it's like I, I don't think the fit is perfect for Boston, and they're definitely not, I don't think, giving up anything in their core. Like I, I think Marcus Smart is basically untouchable unless you're throwing something massive at them. I think that's probably right. Uh, I mean, J- JV is not Rudy Gobert. They're, they're both play the same position, but they're quite different players in yeah. terms of functionality. Um, any other trades around the league you like? I know you talked about Buddy on your recent podcast with uh, with Chris Harrington, and yeah. that's some guy that you've kind of circled. And obviously, everyone in kind of Grizzlies Twitter has as well. Although there's probably more Levine chatter on the Grizz Facebook than I care to admit. Really? Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> stay away if you're not over there. Just stay away. There's no. Are you on the either. Grizzlies Facebook at all? No, I don't uh, even. Oh, don't. I mean, like, I, like I have a Facebook, but uh, I don't ever look at it. And what when you say the Grizzlies Facebook, if I go on Facebook, do I just type in Grizzlies and, and will it get me where I need to go? It is a uh, what? What is the what is the there's group like, called? Uh, there's there's like a few groups. Grizz, so basically, Grizz like Nation. Yeah, Grizz Nation is one. one. Well, I'm saying if like you ever if you're ever just sitting like in a, in the DMV and you're yeah. like, hey, I need to waste. 37 seconds then get on there and look at this um and you'll immediately get off because everything <laughs> that's proposed is completely preposterous well, they're I, like why don't we just trade for devin booker let's give him gorgie dang and, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then everyone's like then everyone just like retweets and goes like yes that's awesome that's a great idea and then that guy thinks that he actually knows what he's talking about it's actually fairly amazing um and kind of like a it's like an ant, an ant farm kind of way but uh that's not pretty a, good i, I yeah. do see a bit of uh, when anthony sane posts yeah. on twitter uh, so oh. following his social media mm. Saying is like views from Grizz Facebook. Views from the Grizz Facebook. Those yeah, he's, all, he's giving you taste there. He's those giving are you always hilarious. No, yeah. I, I have a trade I mentioned on one of my last shows that I'm curious what you guys think about. It would be Grizzlies trading for Buddy Heald, who, like you said, every Grizzlies fan has kind of circled as maybe a dream acquisition. But would you guys would you guys give up Dylan Brooks, Tyus Jones, and Gorgie Jang to bring in Buddy Heald and Corey Joseph? I think the Kings might do it because it saves them a ton of money. Corey Joseph is going to make $13 million the next two seasons. He's only partially guaranteed two years from now. But it would basically go from, instead of having Gorgie Jang's expiring contract, 
we send out Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks, who make $21 million combined a year, to bring in Buddy Heald and Corey Joseph, who are going to be making $37 million per year. So I'm curious, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, basically, if, if Zach Kleiman called me and said, hey, I need a guy to drive Dylan Brooks to the middle of the woods and leave him there <laughs> and, and never speak of it again, like, I, I would say, like, not only do I know a guy, but it's me. And like, I'm going to do that. Um, so, so basically like any trade you propose where Dylan's part of our package, I'm like, hell yes. Uh, but, but (laughs) to be more realistic about it, that sounds great. I mean, I, I, I like buddy too. Uh, his contract, I believe descends a little bit. I think it's totally reasonable. A lot of people think he's overpaid, but he's really not though. I don't think for like what the league is and having that guy on your roster. I mean, I don't, that that's someone that you could easily pay 25 plus to, I think. Right. I don't know how to judge it because I know the the analytics community like Jacob Goldstein and John Hollinger both consider the Buddy Heald contract to be like there's no chance he lives up to it. And, you know, he's made I think it's 24 million this coming season or 25. And then next year it's like 23. It does go down the next couple of years, but it's still a lot. But I'm I'm still of the opinion, like you guys said, that because of the just the positional scarcity and finding a, a two guard who can launch 10 threes a game and make 40 percent of them. You, you can't find those guys, and especially yeah. where the Grizzlies are, where you already have, you think, your elite point guard of the future. You have a very strong front court that you're feeling good about, and you just need scorers. You need bucket getters. You need guys to space the court. It seems like paying this guy $24 million a year, No, it's, it, it seems like that's, that's worth it, and especially when the, with the descending contract and know that Ja, Brandon, and Jaron are locked into their rookie deals, you have a little wiggle room. So, I, I mean... I'm not saying anything else that anyone else isn't saying. Like, we're all, it seems like a good idea. My only pause is like, Kings fans do not seem brokenhearted about losing Buddy Healed, hmm. which is always for me a warning sign. Where it's like, oh, maybe I feel like I've watched a lot of Kings games, but I'm not watching them as close as they're watching their team. And Kings fans, like, you know, they want a fair return, but I don't see a lot of people pulling their hair out like, I'm going to be outraged if Buddy Heald is traded. I'm never watching the Kings again. I, I don't see any of that. So maybe that's a, a buyer beware situation for us. Yeah, that, that could be some so, uh, form of a red flag. And I think that Memphis in this situation, like to add that next guy that, or like a score like that, they're going to have to overpay a little bit on the market yeah. value because free agency, not really an option so much. And no one's just going to hand off someone that's, you know, right at the market value like we'd have to really overpay for that in other ways. So having someone on the roster, maybe make it a little bit more than they should, you know, per advanced analytics. I think yeah. that's kind of the price that you have to pay in Memphis. No, I've I, heard a tale of two buddies you. too. Like, I mean, I I've heard like there's a Kings thing and maybe he just hates being there. A lot of people hate being there. It seems like on that roster. And uh, he seems like a passionate guy. I mean, obviously you're hiring an employee as well as a player. So you're hiring someone to come in your locker room and for the young team that seems to be really tight. You want that to work synergy wise. But then I've also heard buddies like the guy that's like Verno's favorite anecdote is that he's like at one point the Kings were in town and like uh, they canceled practice. The Kings did. And, and buddy went to the forum to shoot like a thousand threes by himself, like not even with a rebounder. Cause he like, that's just what kind of guy he is. So you know, you, you hear that and you're like, that makes sense. It seems like he'd fit in with this team who just likes to hoop and they like each other. Uh, so maybe it's a fit thing. But also, I mean, I'm a big like like a Kyle Anderson, for example, like the, the Spurs didn't want to re-sign him. So I was like, wait a minute, like that tells me something, you know, I mean, if a team that's had him for this long doesn't want to pay him 10 million a year or whatever, nine, 
that tells me that maybe we shouldn't. And I think there's kind of a buyer beware, like if the person that has the asset doesn't want it, then what, you know, what's going on there. But the Kings, you, you just sort of like, you it's, know, it's a wild card. Like you just you shrug just and say like Kings, yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, and hope it works out. Although the, I will say the Spurs have had a few misses over the last couple of years. Not saying Kyle necessarily was going to live up to, to the $9 million, but like last year they didn't re-sign Davis Bertans because they wanted to sign Marcus Morris and then Marcus Morris stood him up. And so they also re-signed Pau Gasol to an unreasonably big contract a couple of years ago. Sure. Rudy Gay's making a lot of money. Uh, I mean, Rudy Gay's like fine now, but no, I'm with you. The moment the Grizzlies offered that, that offer sheet, I remember uh, to Kyle Anderson, I was like, okay, that seems fair. And then when the Spurs didn't match a couple of days later, it's like, well, this guy's, I think at the time he was 25. Like he's a 25 year old wing. 9 million a year seems very fair and reasonable. That's, that's strange. Uh, they, they didn't match. And so, I mean, I think you guys know I'm like a really big Kyle Anderson fan, but yeah, it, it was weird. I thought the Spurs didn't match, but the Grizzlies pulled off the same magic a year later with Tyus Jones. And it seems like, Tyus Jones, you know, worked out just fine for the Grizzlies. I think the Timberwolves decided where they were in their team. They didn't want to invest that money because they knew they weren't going to really compete. But for the Grizzlies, they decided it was worth it. And Tyus Jones, you know, can help mentor um, Ja. He still has some upside. He's still really young. And he's also, it's like a fair contract where you could trade it if you really wanted to, yeah. to, to clear up some space. Yeah. One piece that we always hear is that, that Brandon Clark's got to be part of this big deal that w- when it, whenever the Grizzlies decide that, okay, now we're going to make that big trade to be competitive with John Jaron or 23, 24, we feel like they've, they've hit their stride and, and now we're going to make that trade. Brandon Clark's always part of that deal. What do you think BC's ceiling is? I mean, are you are, like, we're split on the show. So Mason thinks that he's a, a role player, a starting role player on a good team, but will never be an all-star. Like if, if he had to bet money, he would say never an all-star. Whereas like Zach and I, I think are a little bit higher on him. I guess I can't speak for Zach. I think he could be an all-star, I, I, but I don't know if I'd bet that he would be. But what's your temperature on Brandon Clark? Well, I mean, I, I would definitely bet he's not going to be an all-star for just getting even odds. I think it'd be, sure. it, would be, it, would, it would be a long shot, I think, that he becomes an all-star. Just, just basically, you know. Uh, statistics very few people become all-stars i i do like i'm a little higher than some people where i think he can become a a starter no problem um i mean his splits were basically montrezl harrell and you know he shot pretty well from the three-point range um so i i I don't know how to project him really or like what is the like i know he he compares himself to sean marion even though like he's more of a big and it doesn't look like he's ever going to have like the ability on the wing as a Sean Marion, but I don't feel like it's out of the realm of possibility that he does become like a 22 and 11 guy. I mean, like when you say all-star, you think of like John Collins, like John Collins put up huge stats last year and he might not be that good. So like I could imagine Brandon Clark putting up that same level of stats. If he gets the playing time, like if he's playing 32 minutes a game, He's already, I think he would average something like 18 and nine or something. And so I, I, he's not a guy I'm, I'm in any rush to get rid of. I know I do see like the trade, the fake trades, even if it's not on Grizzlies Facebook, like if it's going to be like a Brad Beal trade, like, okay, like I would give up Brandon Clark for Bradley Beal, but no one else, like I don't, there's no one else being rumored. Like I would much rather hang on to him and see what he becomes. Like there's no rush. Let's give him two more years, and then we'll like we'll really know what he's going to become. But I, I do think he projects to be like a maybe a really good starter, and so I, I'm not going to limit his ceiling at all. And I'm in no rush to 
include him in fake trades. Yeah, it's like one of those, this is why we can't have nice things because we've had him one year and we're already like trying to conjure up some way to get rid of him for some reason. Right, right. No, I don't. I mean, yeah, there, there's there's no trade. I think Brad Beal's the only one, if anyone who ever gets rumored of being available. I'm like, I would trade almost anything for Brad Beal because I do think he's a he's an ideal fit. And to, and to add a third player who is better than Ja and Jaron, like that is... For me, that's the like the narrow path where the Grizzlies can compete for a title is finding a third player who is better than those two. Like right now, it's that's gonna be the challenge as this team grows. Like, how do you get? I mean, hopefully, maybe Jaw becomes an All NBA type player, and then it's like, well, how do we find a third guy who's also an All Star or something? So, like, I, I would give up Brandon in that situation because Beal's only twenty six, and if maybe Beal gave you some assurance that, hey, I love being in Memphis, and when my deal's up in a couple years, I will stay. But no, right now, I think as Grizzlies fans, our hope is uh, let's stick with these guys. Maybe Brandon Clark will become an all-star. Maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. will become an all-star. Maybe D'Anthony Milton will become the next Mono Ginobili or something. I don't know. No, but like maybe these young guys become the super good players, uh, and that's how the Grizzlies get to be a really good team. Yeah. So I have I've kind of a question a little bit outside of the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been to Summer League, which is a pretty yeah. cool thing. What is that experience like? Did you just go? How does that even work? I don't even know. Like, can anyone go? Or yeah, you, you have to have like media credentials, or did you have them? I'm curious. No. Uh, so the, I, let's see. The first time I went to NBA Summer League for the first time in in 2015, and it was before I had a podcast or anything, and it was like I died and gone to heaven. I mean, it was like if you're an NBA nerd or like if you're really obsessed with the NBA, like like I am. I'd never been around that many NBA players. Like I'd only gone to Grizzlies games. Like, and so you, you go to NBA summer league and it's, it's literally Lollapalooza for basketball fans. And you go in this, it's like this, it's at UNLV and it used to be tickets for like 20 bucks. Now they're like 50, but it's per day. So like you can watch the games. There's two gyms, you walk back and forth and the whole area is just packed full of, of like current NBA players, the guys on the teams, like a lot of the times they just walk in between the gyms, like all the NBA media people, you know, are there just milling about there's NBA coaches and scouts and players. And so for me, the first time I went, I walked in and was like, this is incredible. I was like, there's Steve Kerr. There's Kevin McHale. There's there's, 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 like, that's Monty McCutcheon. Like it was just nonstop, just random NBA people. And you could sit close. You could see all the players and, you know, you're, you're just sitting watching games like, hey, there's Carmelo Anthony. So, like for me, it never stopped getting old. And like the fans there, they're all wearing jerseys and like random old jerseys. And it's just it's hilarious. You're like, I've never seen I've never seen a Kiki Vandeway jersey before. Like living in Nashville, if I see someone wearing an NBA jersey, I'm basically excited. If I yeah. see someone wearing a Grizzlies jersey, I'll go talk to him. Like that's how rare it is. And then like <laughs> you, then you go to Vegas Summerlin, like literally everyone. And so it was overwhelming. And so like I adore it. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, I mean the 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 COVID shutdown of the planet has lots of serious, horrible real world consequences. But like on the frivolous side, like I was more sad about losing Summer League than I was about the season being stopped. Like having like television <laughs> different and weird, having the Grizzlies miss the playoffs. I was like, I can't believe I'm missing Summer League. Like Summer League is my favorite thing. Um, but it's got it's also gotten huge. Like. 
I know I'm talking it up. Uh, could you actually delete all the things I just said? Like no one else yeah, comes. It's boring. It's, gotten, it's super lame. It's gotten Overpriced. it's gotten so crowded. I mean, they have like as the price has gone up and up, they they understand. Um, but it's just really fun. I mean, like I've gone and I brought T-shirts several years and just like giving them out to like the media people and players who are there. Uh, and you can just it, it's a good way to interact and network with a lot of people and like. A lot of people who I was friends with on Twitter, like I met them in person there and, and like formed real life um, friendships. It's, it's basically summer camp maybe for NBA Twitter. It's like, it's like, it really, it's like a getaway where for me, it was just a lot of fun, like seeing that much basketball. Um, like the basketball itself was fun, but then outside of the basketball, just seeing all these NBA people you're aware of and you see on TV all the time, like from every network, and it's all a bunch of old coaches, former players, celebrities. So it's pretty cool. It's like Zach Lowe's on the blob, like Hollinger's like <laughs> shooting in the archery range. Like you got all that's going <laughs> yeah. on. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will tell you, if, if Summer League was a show at the Ryman, it's now like playing bridge show. Uh, after yeah, this podcast, yeah. I feel no. like you just you you counterproductive just then. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a hole hole in the wall. I mean, like, and I was a late arriver. I mean, like ten years ago, people were like, it, it costs four dollars to get in. You you could you could walk on the court, like you could shoot around with the players. You know, like it, it's it's definitely grown and grown and grown, and it's a pretty big production now. But it, like, if you are like, I guess just nuts over the NBA, you owe it to yourself to go especially now that like every team goes like for the first few years I went, the Grizzlies weren't even there. Like the Grizzlies would go to Orlando summer league and that was it. But I would say if yeah, if you're a hardcore NBA fan schedule one summer, assuming it stays in the summer for, for, for in the future, but uh schedule, schedule one July to uh, have a chance to go check out NBA summer league. Yeah, we will. Um, last question before we let you go. I know you got a hard stop, but yeah, next season, 72 games, we think probably going to start December 22nd. It seems like based on all available data, if the Grizzlies over-under is set at 32 out of a 72-game season, you take an over-under? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, think, I think, first of all, I'd say that that's a very fair number. Um, but I, I, I take the over. I mean, well, why not? It's going to be tough. That they're going to have, have the motivation somewhat in the front office to think about maybe improving their pick. But, uh, yeah, I, I take the over. I, I think like 34 and 38 feels right. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the over. All right. Okay. Well, FanDuel just became legal in Tennessee. I just downloaded the app, and my fiance is mm. really pissed. Uh, so uh, so welcome to welcome to life as a 30-something-year-old white guy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or in my case, right. 40, but it's fine. Yeah, you have the spirit of a 31-year-old. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're very, very welcome. Keith, appreciate the time, man. Uh, appreciate the podcast. We enjoy your content, and, and we hope to have you back on soon, man. We re- really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, Sam. Thanks for having me, Zach. Yep. See you later, Keith. See you guys. All right, that was Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast. Zach, any parting thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, when's the summer league coming back, and when can we go? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, well, that's all that you and I have talked about anyway. I mean, I mean, I, and of course, we assumed it would be that fun. Um, and it makes sense. It would be a really fun bro trip. Uh, and we might have to, you know, like seriously look into accounts receivable and maybe some petty cash and pull out of the barn burner bank account and, uh, and get a, a group together. I'll, I'll have to funnel some of the money from the offshore Cayman Island account, but I think we can make it work. Yeah, we'll hire Tom Cruise as your lawyer if you're going to do that. Or can... um, Marty Bird. Or Marty Bird. Good point. Well, this has been another episode of the Backdoor Cut Show. I am Sam, a.k.a. The Barn Chief, and he is Zach. 
Barn Burner Bro. You can find us on Twitter at those accounts. Check us out at the Barn Burner at the-barnburner.com uh, and read our stuff there. But we appreciate you joining. And uh, hopefully we have a president at some point. And hopefully we have an NBA start date at some point. But with that, talk soon, Zach. See you later.